we were tented in the heavy snow again. Days and days befell us where our rations were reduced and our morale along with them. We were being punished by the gods of the sky with the heaviest snow that had been recorded in the last 25 years of explorers visiting there. It seemed as though it would be an impossibility to endure those winds much farther. And with the days of tent-dwelling, animosity grew high against me, against those who seemed to have some inside knowledge like Mr. Loftson, and against everyone with each other for the cramped spaces and the seemingly hostile hoarding of food that one man would accuse the other of and things like that. We were falling apart at the seams. It was obvious to anyone that was watching. And on our sixth night of staying, waiting for that storm to break, sixth night, again, it was midnight, so a low sun, the unfortunate occurrence that really spearheaded the rest of the debacle of this great adventure began. Men tried to sleep when the sun was lowest on the horizon in order to try to give some semblance to the disorganized perpetual sunlight. And as the men were trying to sleep, there was a rummaging about in the outer portions of the kind of break wall we had made for our own protection. And we could hear the dogs start to yelp and bark in great number in a particular direction. When we peeked our heads out the tent to look at what was going on, we saw there were three polar bears around the periphery of our camp. And the dogs, being as beastly as they might have been, were dwarfed by the size of these massive beasts who could have registered 900 pounds on a scale perhaps twice as much. It was impossible to say. They were enormous. They looked like a version of what I've seen today, not 20 years ago, but saw today of an army tank would be the fairest comparison. The bears were having nothing to do with the dogs. They ignored their barks and screeches. They could tell that they were tied and tethered. And so they lumbered and marched closer to the tents where they found the men. Now, polar bears are opportunists by every right, and a dog, it seems, must put up more of a fight than a human. And so the bears thought that it would be easier to attack us, not being accustomed to the weapons we would have by our sides. They made lunges at the tents, and there was gunshots and swords swinging and screaming, and you could hear the bears yelping and moan and growl all at the same time. And after several minutes, there was a blood-curdling scream that came from Eckersley's tent, 
And it was there that Morris Peabody had his throat charred open by that great grizzly bear, whose blood was red all around his beak and foreskin. And there you could see just an absolute varnish of a time. Disgusting, blood-red horror. This bear had turned its mouth into. We tried to shoot at it. But Mr. Peabody was still struggling, even though it was obvious his death was imminent. And we fired at that bear one time, two times more. (coughs) The croups got me, excuse me. But the bear only seemed to shirk off the bullets and make himself distant to us, having killed Mr. Peabody there, but not running away with the prize of that fresh kill. Peabody suffered there in in the dirt and in the snow for about one hour. We tended to him the best we could, but he eventually fell and died and was likely brought up into heaven on such an account of a morbid death like that. I can't imagine how God would turn a man like that away. Eckersley was ferocious. He yelled at me. Scowled at me. He made me feel as though I was that bear and they were all the victims of me, the nasty, nasty beast that had come to take them. But Lofson took my side. He said these occurrences happened. We weren't ready, we weren't prepared, and perhaps that was on the part of Winstrong, but it was on the part of all of you. Were any of you a guard duty that was assigned to you? Were you awake at that point? Be honest. Not a single man rose their hand. So the guards, the sentries, to guard the outside of this wind-torn fort, had failed us. And that's when the polar bears arrived. The other two had scampered off at the first gunshot, but we had a rather ferocious beast that had now tasted Christian blood, who would be coming back soon, I might imagine. Now that's a quandary. Do you stay where you are after a polar bear attack and the polar bear that has attacked has gotten away? Or do you go and wander potentially into his territory all the more where he has greater confidence to assail you in the next opportune moment. This is not something they teach you in the academy, people. You have to learn this out on the ground with your boots in the snow. I talked it over with Lofson. Eckersley listened closely in. I could hear him hear me. He was being such a bitch about it and almost repeating redundancies that were not what I had said, but close enough to the next man in charge, Mr. Goatbottom, but there was no continuity in that conversation. Regardless, Lofton said, we should go forward, we should move. This bear is only going to make a report to other bears of an easy target in this spot we need to move where Eckersley decided he wanted to stay back and fight and perhaps shoot the bears that would come 
reduce their size and strength in numbers, and then be able to move forward with a greater degree of confidence. I could see both options, and I could see two men who disagreed fundamentally on how this should be done, and I had to choose a side, and I chose the side of Lofsen, the man who was more, more talented than Eckersley. Eckersley rounded up his men and decided to head back towards the Reach, which was a nine-day journey for them to do that. I said, what will you do once you arrive at the Reach? And they said that they would wait for us there. And under a promise sworn on by the Holy Bible, Eckersley and his men left the remaining seven of us here to try to press forward. And they promised while at the reach they would keep supplies and rations ready for us should we decide to return and would not navigate to any other point but rather stay there and use the ship as an anchorage for freestanding construction against protection of the winds. That was their only purpose at this point forward. And now with a skeleton crew of seven men and Mr. Lotson, I was reduced to being a man in open polar bear territory and hoping to make our way north. Not only in open polar bear territory, but open territory where the polar bear had tasted men's blood and now wanted more of it. It was a sad situation. I had seen control slip through my fingers quite easily here. And take into account the derision of a bombardment of perpetual snows. And found myself clearly over my head as being the man for the job. But I'm a great patriot. And when your president tells you to do a thing, you do it. And even with the heavy heart of seeing a man lost and others abandoning me, I would press farther north with the help of Mr. Lothson. And so, in a few minutes' time, I will get to the story of how us seven plus Lothson made it farther to the North Pole, despite an unbelievable amount of odds against us. Thank you.